Well, today is September 25th, 2016. Uh, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 19, that is going to be the primary text for today. We're going to start there in Acts 19. We're going to branch out and do some different things, but we're going to start and end in Acts 19. I feel like uh, as I was praying, as I was studying for today, that God set this chapter, the entire chapter for us today, because it's going to give us a roadmap. I feel like it's going to confirm what we've been going through as a church. It is also going to let us anticipate what is coming as a church. And I, and I think that you'll see that over the course of time. So Acts 19 is where we're going to start. Put a mark there. Put one of your ribbons there because we're going to come back to that a lot today. You know, I was thinking about it this week. Uh, <clears throat> we had the, the privilege, uh, my wife and I, we went and got to visit with Haley and Kaysa Nadarmes in the hospital this week. I think that was maybe Thursday. And uh, we had a great time with, with, with Haley. Uh, um, one of the things that we were there as we were praying over baby Kaysen is uh, we got to lay our hands on him there in the little incubator. We laid our hands on him and there had been some, uh, he'd been having some breathing issues. Uh, low oxygen in his blood. So you see the number, the heartbeat, the respirations per minute, and then the blood ox number. And uh, was doing okay while we were there. He was actually in a good, a good period of time, and it was around 92, 92% oxygenated uh, blood. And so what we did was we laid hands on him and started praying. And while we were praying for him, the number, I just happened to look up. I don't, you know, there's no, we just looked up and watched that number go all the way up to 100 and just stay at 100. Yeah. Just stayed there. No fluctuation whatsoever. Just stayed at 100% as we were praying. <clears throat> took our hands off, started talking, and it settles back down. We're like, wait, 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 let's try this again. In Jesus' name, 100% while we were praying for him. It's amazing. Uh, it, it made me start thinking about this. Uh, the Lord has been good to us as a body, and he has given us some uh, fairly strong words of late. Yes? The Lord disciplines those that He loves. So He is disciplining us, which means that He loves us. Amen? And as we're going through this, I was, we were there in the hospital, and uh, uh, the nurse that was in the room at the time, her name was Faith. It's a good name for a nurse. Amen? And I realized that as we were talking, we were just wrapping up, and we were loving on Haley and loving on Kaysen, and I realized she had gone over to the side, and there's a little computer, very small room. Kind of have to move to get the door open if there's too many people in there. And I realized that she was standing over at her computer with her back to us, but wasn't doing anything. There were no clickety-clacketing on the, on the keyboard. There was actually nothing going on. And our friend was just standing there. And I was like, look at you, God. She's just listening. Just listening. And she turns around, and, and I looked at her, and I said, hey, Faith, can we stop and pray for you? And immediately, tears were just... It wasn't like they even had time to well up. They just went, Poof. it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm such a mess. This is not very professional of me. And I was like, hey, it's okay. I'm a pastor. This happens all the time. <laughs> I was like, we go to Starbucks and people will just randomly walk up to us and sit down. And <laughs> hey, man, this is what happens. It may be unusual for you, but it's not unusual for me. Because let me tell you why. You're not falling apart because you're having a breakdown here. 
you are actually sensing the power and the touch of a living and a caring and a powerful God. That's what you're feeling. And what she did in response to that was cry more. And then we prayed for her. We laid hands on her. By the way, while we laid hands on her, Kaysen's blood ox went to 100 and hovered there. I was like, hey, man. We pray, for, we pray for her, and she's ugly crying. Very sweet, very pretty lady. She is ugly crying. Like, need, needing some napkins and stuff. Like, it was just ugly. And you go, hey, man. Thank you, Lord, that you care about us enough. What it made me think of was this. As a pastor, you know what my job really is? You know what my weapons are? We had a buddy led a teaching this Friday night, and we talked about the Christian at war. We went through Ephesians 6 and talked about the armor of God, which we're all, we, if you've been in church for any length of time, you're probably familiar with that topic. But here's the, here's the idea. Those are the weapons of our warfare, but you know how they come out most of the time? Is what we say. As you walk up, Justin gave a great word today. I'm so glad we have young men, young women here in this place. Justin heard from the Lord, stepped forward, and gave a commanding word because he heard from the Lord and he spoke it out. And you know what it did? It impacted the entire room. You know what your job is as a believer? Is to take what you see and put words to it. <laughs> well, I'm not very good with my words. No, 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 don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not asking you to be more eloquent. I'm asking you to be more direct in your speech and allow God to speak through you. The Bible says that we're not supposed to worry about what we say because in that moment he will give us what to say. So you know what's our job to do? It's like a John 14 that says the Holy Spirit will teach us everything and remind us of all things. The Holy Spirit, we're supposed to be so in love with the Lord that we continually seek his presence. We continually seek him. We continually get into the word. We continually get into the spirit. And you know what happens? We get ourselves full so that when we see the faiths of the world, when we see the people who are in our workplace, if you're a salesman, you go out and the people that you get a chance to talk to, you think that's by, you think that's by accident? What happens when you see something and you speak into it and somebody responds? Whether they break down and cry and reach out for it or they get repelled by what you're saying. Either way, you know what it shows me? God is at work. Isaiah 55 says that the word of the Lord that goes forth will not return void, but it will accomplish what it's been set out to do. You know what I know about the word of the Lord? It will either draw you or repel you. And it's a sign of your heart, not what the power of the word of God is. Today we're going to look at Acts 19. We're going to look at some things that we should be doing that we uh, are encountering as a church. I hope you have your notebooks out. <clears throat> I presume that many of you will know some of these scriptures, but what we're doing is not only is this going to impact us here today, but it's also going to train us on what we're supposed to go and how we're supposed to engage with the people around us. Amen? Amen. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It says this. <clears throat> While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Let's talk about Ephesus for just a minute. We have a few pictures here. Ephesus is a city in Turkey. It is a city that is located in Turkey. You see there Istanbul just to the north of that. This really is a gateway area between the west and the east. This really is a transitional period. When you go to Istanbul, it is an incredible, uh, it's an incredible city. Something like 15 or 20 million people there. Uh, we actually, my wife and I and the Molochs, we got stranded there. 
for a 24-hour period because when we landed, we were supposed to connect, catch a connecting flight in Istanbul. While we were landing, the last flight of the day, our flight, is taking off towards America. I'm like, hey, man, guess we're going to have to stay here for a day. It's an incredible area, but Ephesus is here, an actual city that you can go visit today. Let's take another look at a, a picture here. This is the great theater that's in Ephesus. There was a road called the Arcadian Way that led from the harbor, Ephesus is a harbor city, straight down to this great theater. Here's a, another from the, from the top view. We got one more. Uh, let's back up one, I'm sorry. <clears throat> there it is. So we have this, and I just, I just wanted to show you kind of the scope and size of it. Group of people there, and then all the way down on the ground. They say that once this was in its full regalia, somewhere between 24 and 25,000 people could fit. This is, this is a large facility. This is a big place. 25,000 people. Right? So Ephesus, at the time uh, that we're reading about this story in Paul, they think it was somewhere around a quarter of a million people who lived in Ephesus. Okay? Um, you can go to the next one. <clears throat> this is an artist's rendering, because it's not still standing like this, but this is an artist's rendering of the temple of Artemis. By the way, this temple, something like 55,000 square feet of a building, just to let you know. 55,000 square feet. That's a large, that's a large structure. This was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This temple here in, in, in Ephesus. And we're going to come back to that in just a little while. So let's go back to the scripture, Acts 19, and we'll read one again. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Everybody say disciples. And asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I like Paul. I like how he's starting this off. Question number one. Hey, your disciples. Hey, do you have the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit since you've, since you've believed? Now, what people try to do is say that these, that these folks were not actual believers at the time. Words that make me think differently are then he found some disciples. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Keep going. They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> we have no idea what you're talking about, dude. Uh, I had the privilege of working in a private school for 12 years. Eight years as a teacher, four years as a principal. You know what I had? Student after student after student after student come up to me and say, Mr. Sutherland. And they would, they didn't want other people to hear him, right? They really were, they, hey, uh, hey, Mr. Sutherland. Yeah, what's up? Hey, um, do you know about the Holy Spirit? Why do you ask? Because you seem like you do. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> Okay, so what are you getting at? Well, our church, we know a lot about God, the Father. We talk about God all the time. And, and we really do. We love Jesus. Like, we study and we know that Jesus is important. But you know what we never talk about? We never talk about the Holy Spirit. It's dismissed. It's said in little sound bites that, that don't really cover it. And Mr. Sullivan, I've been reading the Word and I see, I see a lot of information about it. Well, amen. Do you want to talk more about it? Oh, would you sit down and talk to me about it? Sure. Here's what you need to do. You need to go tell your parents that you're going to talk to me about the Holy Spirit. Because I'm not going to subject, I'm not going to subvert your parents' authority in your home. Because if you're in a denominational home, 
they have certain thoughts. I will talk to you all day long. And you don't have to believe a word that I say if I can't show it to you in the scripture. We're going to make that deal. And if your parents are okay with that deal, I'll talk to you about it as much as you want. Acts 19, it just reminds me. that We haven't even heard. What are you talking about? It's Holy Spirit business. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? <clears throat> John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. There's a revelation that takes place in verse 5. They say, on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, if you wanted to argue that they weren't disciples, before, they weren't actual believers before, this verse says they are now believers. Amen? Everybody agree with that? Verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Amen. There were about 12 men in all. Let me encourage you. If you ever get in a place where 12 men in all, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit is not a big deal, the Bible celebrates it. It is recorded in the Holy Writ for us to go, wow, what an incredible experience, and there was 12 of them. Kind of interesting that there were 12, right? We, we don't even, I don't even have time to get into the idea of this 12 that God empowers here. But here, as we're going through Acts 19 today, I realize that there are seven major events in Acts 19. That may surprise you, but most of us are like, of course there's seven, right? <laughs> of course there is. And event number one, is a download of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> By the way, the seven events that are going to go on today are going to help us get a roadway. It's going to help show us a blueprint. It's going to help show us a map, I believe, of what God's doing collectively in our midst. I believe it's going to actually apply to some of you personally in your own personal walk with the Lord what, what is going to go on. Let's take a look at, hold your place there in Acts 19. Uh, let's go to John 20 and verse 22. Say there when you're there. <clears throat> wow, fast. John 20, 22. This is a time where you want to have the heading here. You want to jot down these scriptures. These should become very familiar to you as a believer, as a spirit-filled believer. These are scriptures that you need to have uh, readily in your back pocket. John 20, 22 says this. Uh, let's start in verse 21. <clears throat> Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus in his glorified form. He is there and he's saying, You know what? Hey, guys. I was sent by the Father. Now I'm going to send you. You know the very first thing I want to do after I'm telling you that I'm going to send you? He breathed on them. Awkward. <laughs> Hope he didn't have coffee breath. All right? Jesus breathed on them. You know why? Because them receiving the Holy Spirit was vital for them to do what he just said that he was going to send them to do. Take a look at Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> starting in verse 4. Acts 1, verse 4. 
On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? By the way, that's not just a silly Jewish question. This is core to everything that really the Bible is about. Lord, we know that you are going to restore the kingdom. The question isn't if you're going to. Is, is it now? Are, are you going to do it right now? Look at Jesus' response to them. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Everybody say authority. authority. But you will receive power. Everybody say power. power. Problem with Christianity today in our country is there's not a whole lot of power that's going on. You know what happens is when you start running out of the power, you know what you have to do? You have to start playing games. You have to start distracting people from the fact that there isn't as much power as you want to be there. So we need the lights and the smoke. I don't care if, I don't care if a church has lights or smoke. If you've got the power of God, I don't care what else you have. <laughs> it's when it becomes a replacement for having the presence of God in your midst that you're like, hey, look, look, look at us. We can do this. Hey, look. No, no, no. I, I don't need all that. You know what I need? I'll, I'll, take, I'll take a storefront church that's been modeled out. If it has the Holy Spirit in it, that's where I want to be. I don't need that as a replacement because it's not a replacement anyway. It cannot replace this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses. There are organizations in our world that want you to be a witness but they don't want you to actually say his name. They want you to be a witness, but they don't want to actually have you with any power. They want you to go through a mechanism. Let's go through a pamphlet with someone. You need to have the power of the Holy Spirit at work so when you see the nurse, you say something and God falls on them. That's what we need to have. As you're walking along, as you're going about, you can see into the spirit realm and you go, God, I sent something. What's going on? Lord, would you give me the boldness to say what I need to say? Because this may change their life forever. That's being a witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Chapter 2. We're going to walk through Acts here really quickly. Chapter 2, verse 4. It says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You know what some churches have done? Uh, some denominations have done? They've redefined what things like this means. You look at it and they go, they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. That happens when you get saved. Is, is the, is the uh, doctrine that's done. Because how can you be a believer and read the Scripture and go, and not realize that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and have the evidence of speaking in other tongues. It's because they start redefining these things. They start putting it in only certain age brackets, the age of, of creation, in certain dispensations. God did that then, but He's different now. You know what our church stands on? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the New Testament is built upon the foundation of the old. It is not an entirely new thing. It's like saying, you know what? My favorite floor in this house is the second floor. I love the second floor of my house. Yes, but if you remove the first floor, what do you have? You have rubble. It is built upon something. 
Fine. Let it be your favorite. Fantastic. But you cannot remove it from what the foundation is or you've got something different. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. (laughs) Wait a minute. They accepted the word of God already. Yes, they did. Now we're going to send someone to them. You're going to see this again in Acts 19. We're going to send someone there to help them, to make sure that they're doing it well. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because this Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Believers there. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Take a look at chapter 9. Turn the page. Chapter 9 verse 17 says this. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, who was to become Paul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength. Even the Apostle Paul, who later on says, by the way, I speak in tongues more than all of y'all. 1 Corinthians, he sounds very uh, bragging, right? By the way, I want all of you to speak in tongues. When he's giving instructions to the house of God in Corinth and saying this is the way that it should happen. By the way, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says these things must be done in the house of the Lord. They must be done for the strengthening of the saints. Thank you, brother. Turn to um, Acts chapter 10. Let's look at verse 44. By the way, you can ask Elder Baj. Acts 10.44 happened to us while we were in Africa. It was exactly like this that it happened. Acts 10.44 says this. While Peter was still speaking, in this case it was, while Pastor Eric was still speaking, these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Young man stood up, not even done. How rude. (laughs) No, it's not... The message wasn't even done. We haven't gotten to the altar call part. He stands up, raises both hands, and starts speaking in tongues. Amen. Wait, I thought you had to... This young man was hearing the words and received the baptism of the Spirit. Uh, He spoke English. He spoke Portuguese. He spoke Shangan, the local African language. And then he began speaking in a heavenly tongue. I'm telling you, I was like, oh... Yes! And you know what happened after he got the Holy Spirit for a while? Uh, Olivia was laying hands on somebody over here. They got filled with the Spirit. Gabe was laying hands on people over here. got filled with the Holy Spirit. Baj was laying hands on everybody. Everybody getting filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what happens? The first young man that stood up, drank in from the Lord, and he went and found somebody else and started laying hands on them for them to get filled with the Spirit. You know what happened to that guy? He did the same thing and started prophesying. 
Oh, brother, that's just Africa. Uh-huh. <clears throat> the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. I have to be honest. I've seen many people get filled with the Spirit. I've laid hands on, on my share. I've watched it happen around me, and I've never had it where they just stand up before the sermon's done and just receive it. I was like, oh, yes, just like Acts 10. Why am I saying that? Because the same God who was there then is the same God who's here now. I was asked to do a, uh, a marriage seminar here in town for a local large, large church for one of their Sunday school classes. It would have been 50 couples, something like that. Hey, we want you to come and be the keynote speaker. If you could lead worship and do a marriage weekend, whole marriage weekend thing, that would be great. I was like, oh, amen. Um, what a great, what an honor. I, I love the fact that we have an, a relationship enough and, and you value what the Lord has done through our part, our, our friendship, that you want to ask me to do this. I don't think you want me to come and do this, though. See, because when I come in there, this is what's going to happen, is I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be fasting and praying that this be the most amazing weekend that these adults have ever seen in their life. I'm going to be praying that God will speak to them in such a way and that prophecies will break forth. That's what I'm going to be asking for. I don't know how to do it besides this. I'm going to be asking that people get baptized in the Spirit. And the truth is, is if I do that, if I'm really successful, then it will create problems for you because your church doesn't want this. And they went, uh, well, thank you for being honest. I was like, I, I, I really do. I, I appreciate. I, my heart is humbled by your request. And actually, if I did this, it would cause you more headaches than you, than you want. So I'm going to say no. If you come back to me and say you can come in and do anything you want, then I'll come. If you say we want you to do it any way you want to do it, I will come and I will do it here in your gigantic church in whatever little room you put us in. I will do it. But it can't be without what I see here. Just saying. <clears throat> Turn to Acts chapter 11, verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, and He said, As He had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and I haven't done all the scriptures that I could, but we went from John 20, 22, and then we did what? We did Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 11, and we're reading out of Acts 19. Um. Three, four, five, six, seven. I'm sure that was just by chance, right? Seven times that you see that Jesus himself or that one of the apostles says the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an important thing for us to have. Pastor Wade, we know this. We're, we're a spirit-filled kind of church. This is a roadmap for us in our life. If you don't have this, if you need to revisit this, by the way, our church not only teaches that there is a single time where you can get filled with the Holy Spirit, we think you should continually be being filled. Weird way to say that, right? 
It should be a continual process. You know how many times? I remember when I was a kid, I literally came down to the altar and I got saved probably a hundred times. <laughs> Every time the Lord would move me, like, oh, Lord, help me. Like, weren't you there last week? Yes. Yes, I was there last week. And I'm there again this week. Because maybe, maybe I didn't do that one right. At some point, we can kind of go, okay, Lord, I, I can see that I'm walking. I can feel your presence. You know what I do now? I come running to him because I want his Holy Spirit to move upon my life. I come running back to it. Lord, I know you filled me yesterday. I know you did. Would you, would you make sure that I'm staying filled to overflowing? Would, would you come in me again? Because I know I need more. I need more of your spirit, Lord. Because it says that Jesus will give the spirit without limit. In John 3, it says that. So we have, we have the Holy Spirit that's at work. I can go through, by the way, we can go through scriptures in John that does the same thing. That Jesus, in red letters, is saying that you need to receive the Holy Spirit. I can do that with anyone at any time after this service, any time this week, you let me know, and we can walk through it because you know what you need to have very familiar with you? Uh, by the way, this is a chronological order, right? John 20, Acts 1, 2, 8, 10, 11, 19. You could just keep flipping to the right and see what the Lord is doing. Let's go back to Acts 19. We just read 1 through 7. Let's take a look at verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there. How are you doing on your bold speech, everybody? Are you bold? You go back to Acts 4 and you can see that they were asking, please pray for us that we are bold in our speech. You know what the, one of the things that the enemy is trying to do in our day and time to believers? Shh, shh, be quiet. Don't be bold. I mean, you might upset someone. I cannot tell you how many times in the past week, the past two weeks, the past month, that members of my own family, that members of my friends that are saying, hey, don't go and do that. You know why? Because it might create some angst. It might create problems. So just, shh, can you just calm down? I'm praying, Lord, please help me to be more bold. And everybody around me is saying, would you just calm down? No, I can't. It's like a fire that's shut up in my bones. If I don't say it, it there's something that's going to happen to me. I'm not worried about what you think if I say it. I'm worried about what might happen to you if I don't say it. That's the thing that we need to focus on. But, but I may lose the friendship. I can live with that. I can live with that. I may lose a family member. I can live with that. What I can't live with is someone staying in bondage to sin that I can see. Do you see how our entire teachings as a church, our foundations on Monday night, what are we learning about? Justice. We're going through Exodus and we're seeing these things of how we're supposed to be responding. Why does God care what we do to an animal? Why does he care if we help an animal or how we treat an animal? You know why? Because he's a God who cares about justice. He cares about righteous actions. And he tells us in his word what he wants us to do so that we can stand in right position with him. I cannot allow someone being harmed around me. I cannot allow it. I'm like many of you in here. I'm one of the crazy people. I will run towards somebody. I'll run towards them when I see a man hitting a woman. I will run towards that dude. One of us is going to have to give up here in a minute. I don't know. It might be me. And it's worth it. <laughs> that is on topic. 
That is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be running to those who are injured and saving them, snatching them from the fire. That is the tenacity that we're supposed to have as men and women of God. I can't back down. I can't pretend like I don't see it. You ever done that? You ever been in, in, in a meeting that was so awkward you just wanted to leave? When I was a principal of a certain private school in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, we would have such contentious meetings between the head of school and me, mainly because I was male. I'm sure I had plenty to learn. But it would be so contentious that my other friends, who were principals in their own right, would pretend like they got phone calls so they could leave the meeting. And they would tell me after, they're like, that was so tense. You, it wasn't even about you. It was so tense, I had to leave. You're killing me. It was tense because of our conversation. You were just like, oh God, oh God, let's leave. Have you ever done that? Have you ever heard someone and you're like, didn't hear a thing, I didn't see a thing. That is not... Yeah, we've all done it. You know we have. That is not a godly response in us. We have to learn how to be bold, and that's what's going on here. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there. For how long? Three months. Let me encourage some of you guys. Sometimes as we're reading through these things, we think that they took place in a day. Because I can read the entire chapter in, I don't know, five minutes? I don't know how long it take. Let's just say I can read it in five minutes. We think that these things took place in five minutes. This is a recap of somebody's life, man. What is your life recap going to look like? Well, Abimbola is a man of God. Wait, man, you know what his story is? What a great story. You ought to find out. <laughs> Three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. Everybody say obstinate. Y'all know what that word is, right? If you have children, you know exactly what that word means. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. By the way, there are seven times in the scripture that it calls Christianity the way. Capital W. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years. Did I say two years? so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Here's what's going on here. After the Holy Spirit, you know what happens next? You have to get into discipleship. The Holy Spirit is given, and then Paul immediately goes in and starts preaching in the synagogue. For how long? Synagogue. Three months. It's okay. We're family. He went in the synagogue for three months, and you know what happened? It took a while for the obstinance to grow to the point where he said, fine, we're done with that. Paul, who's pray, praying and preaching boldly, says, yeah, there's this whole man of peace idea that comes in. I'm going to stay here and keep doing this as long as it's allowed. And the synagogue shut it down. So they went to this man, Tyrannus. That's a pretty boss name. Tyrannus. Right? Little T-Rex arms. No. Uh, <laughs> Bible scholars want to make Tyrannus 
a Greek philosopher. There's some, there's some argument that he made. You know what I think? I think that Tyrannus was probably a Messianic Jew. I think he had heard Paul and been converted because this is the area. They went every day and they had discipleship. Hold your place here and turn to Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18, verse 8 and 9. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, row cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life, enter life. Isn't that a great way to say that? doesn't say it's better for you to die and go to heaven. It says it's better for you to enter real life, maimed or crippled, than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. You know what our kind of discipleship is? <laughs> it requires a radical amputation. What has God been talking to us for weeks about now? Hate sin. Love God. Hate evil. Love righteousness. I'm going to ask this as a rhetorical question. How are you doing at hating evil? I don't mean just disliking it. I don't just mean I know that I'm not supposed to be in favor of this. I mean, do you hate evil when you see it? Do you hate sin in your life? The reason I asked it as a rhetorical question is because I did not want to make you guilty by you shaking your head up and down. Yes, sir. Yes. Oh, yeah, I hate it. Because if you hate it, you stay away from it. Because if you hate it, you conquer it. If you hate it, you overcome it. That's what this is, this radical amputation. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 20. <clears throat> it says this, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. This is the radical amputation that I'm talking about. We put off the old self. Um, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Everybody say, put on, put on the, new self. the new self. You love your own self. You have to put off the old self and put on the new self. There's no confusion in the scripture. You can't have part of the old that you like and leave on while you're trying to robe on top of that with the new. You put off the old you put on the new. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 27. Numbers chapter 27. <clears throat> and we're going to start in verse 18. Elder Bosch is going to go into this more at length this Friday night what a discipleship process is. By the way, point number one in Acts 19, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Point number two, the discipleship. You know what this church has made their stand on? What we've drawn the line in the sand and say, this is what Christianity starts with. The Holy Spirit and with discipleship. Once you start seeing through that lens, you know what I see everywhere I go? I see people 
let's just presume that they really honestly love the Lord. I go, man, they love the Lord. God, they need to be pastored. They need to have real discipleship going on in their life. Those people could be amazing, but right now they don't have the discipleship necessary for them to grow. They're immature believers. Wonderful people. Still, they haven't radically amputated the sinful nature yet. I see that everywhere I go now. Numbers chapter 27 verse 18 says this. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him. You know what happens when you get into the discipleship process? You get a transfer of authority. You get an authority that's been given to you. Why? Because Moses handed it down to Joshua. Verse 19, Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Look at verse 20. Give him some of your authority. Hey, Moses, you've got authority. One of the best leaders in the history of mankind. And God says, Hey, Moses, you give him some of your authority. Not some of God's authority, some of your authority, Moses, so that the whole Israelite community will obey him. Turn to Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah 22. <laughs> and verse 21 says this I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. He will clothe him. He's going to hand his authority over to him. Verse 22. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. People want to get all this power and authority, but it's handled through proper discipleship. In, in certain trades, we still have this, where you start out as an apprentice, and then you become a journeyman, and then you become a master craftsman. Yes? You think the Lord is going to do that with less attention to detail? Amen. I have ability. I have talent. Well, great. Let's just turn you loose on the world. That's what our current church system does. Man, you can sing like an angel. Let's put you up in front of everybody. You might have the character of the devil, but you look pretty. Got a perfect smile. Your hair just falls just so. Discipleship is what allows God to entrust you with the authority that you've always been wanting anyway. Handle your discipleship process well and you will have all the authority that you would ever want. The truth is that the more authority you get, the more you wish you didn't have sometimes. That becomes a heavy burden. If you actually understand authority, people who understand authority are never clamoring and try to try to butt their nose into other people's authority. They're like, hey amen, that's yours? Good. That's when you actually have, that's when I know that someone understands authority. They're like, where's my lane? What am I responsible for? Amen, I'm going to do that. Esther chapter 9. Esther chapter 9 and verse 29. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. We can see throughout the Bible that this authority, there's an authority that's granted us. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. I know I'm going a little quick here, but I've got a lot of scripture. 
Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. It says this, He called His twelve disciples to Him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Jesus, that's what He gave them. He gave them some of who He is. He put it on them. You realize that when we lay hands on people, that's really what we're doing? We're laying hands on people to say, the Lord has given us authority. Why do we have the elders come forth and anoint people with oil and pray for them? Well, the Scripture directly says that. But because they've been entrusted with authority from on high, and as a pastor or elder, I firmly believe that God has given me permission to lay hands on people and I can watch the sick recover. It may not always look like a miracle, but I'm going to pray for you and you're going to get better. I'm going to lay hands on Kaysen and I'm going to watch his O2 levels go up. You know what's going to happen? Alex is going to do the same thing. And just because it doesn't work in a fancy way this time, you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to get less bold in my prayers. We're going to keep going at it and we're going to keep being tenacious. We're going to keep being bold. And I believe in the healing. I believe that it's going to take place. Amen? Turn to Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> Revelation 2, verse 26. It says this, To him who overcomes and does my will for a little while. No, I'm just letting you catch up, right? To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. The end purpose here, folks, is that we are, it's not like we're practicing just to practice. We're, we're going to practice. If you've ever been on a football team or an athletic team, you don't practice just to practice. You practice because there's a game to engage in and you want to be victorious. I'm not asking you to be more under authority to, to pay attention to your discipleship for the sake of discipleship only. We're saying the discipleship is to prepare you so that He can give you authority over the nations. I want you to be faithful so He can reward you in accordance to your faithfulness and obedience. First, uh, First Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15 and verse 24. <clears throat> it says this, Then the end will come when He hands over the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God the Father, after He has destroyed all dominion and all power, and all authority. God has placed Jesus Christ as the leader over everything. He has given Jesus the authority for the entire creation. Jesus will get everything in perfect alignment, and then He will hand it back over to the Father. That is 1 Corinthians 15. God, in this case, in this authority, God is over Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, I thought they were equal. They are! And there's still this chain of authority that God has Himself. Jesus orchestrates everything. He gets everything in order, even death. Death is the last enemy to be put down. And then Jesus says, I got it all done for you, Father. Here it is. The entire universe is perfect, just like you intended. Why, do we, why are we always looking to be the highest authority in our life? If that's not even the case for Jesus, you think you're going to climb to this certain level in life and be and have no one to answer to? 
Only God has that privilege. When I was a teacher, man, I wanted to be a, a department head. When I was a department head, I wanted to be an assistant principal. When I was an assistant principal, I wanted to be, you know what I realized? No matter how high I go up, there's still somebody to answer to. Now it's just more complicated. Here, Jesus hands it back over to him. Let's go back to Acts 19. <clears throat> Look at verse 11. It says this, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. What? So here we have miracles that, are, that have taken place. Walk with me here. Let's just look at this as an individual level. Our spirit we get radically changed by the Holy Spirit. The discipleship helps us to put our soul into alignment. Our thoughts, our will, our emotions. It gets us in alignment with who God is. And you know what takes place? Is we can even see miracles even in our own body. Even in the natural realm. It goes from a spiritual place to a very physical place where everybody can see it. By the way, here are the, the apron, the cloth. I just want to address this really quickly. You know what's important about the handkerchiefs and the aprons? Is that Paul's authority was being transferred. If you don't understand that when you lay hands on somebody, it's an authority issue, then you start getting weird thoughts. Like perhaps if you send me $19.99 and support my ministry on TV, I will send you a prayer cloth that has been prayed over. That is idolizing the cloth. That's idolizing the handkerchief or the apron and not the authority that was there. That's, that is a subtle shift that the enemy loves to twist. By the way, when we talk about something that's wicked, um, you guys seen a wicker chair? What's a wicker chair? It's something that's been twisted. Wickedness is just taking the truth and twisting it. That becomes wickedness. The idea here is, that, hey, well, the Bible says it. Let's get an apron. Pastor Matt, would you sneeze in my apron so I can have some of your anointing? Um, no. Um, that's just gross, right? It's the authority, folks. It's the authority because we have miracles. Uh, we have miracles in our, in our midst. Lukey. Kaysen. Riley, who is a miracle and needs more miracles. Eliana, who is a miracle, almost, we're getting close to her second birthday. I was there when they turned off all the medicines that they said they were going to keep the baby alive. There happened to be seven men standing around Eliana, laying hands, praying to the God of all creation. They said, okay, we're going to turn this off. And really, we want you to expect, I mean, any minute now, we turn the machines off, turn the medicine off, click, click, click. And everybody's really somber. The nurses are somber. They're, we'll give you a few minutes. Eliana starts doing better. She starts improving. Her, her, her breathing gets better. They were trying to say it'll be a few minutes to a few hours before the baby expires. 
that was 20 months ago? That was over a year and a half ago. Eliana's still here. When we have our spirit in alignment and our soul is under discipleship, then we're allowed to see the bodily miracles that we need. Levi, AJ, well, Shiloh, Chris. Who else? Others that need miracles and, and to have babies. They're going to have them. Sarah. Folks, do you want to exchange this for something else? You want to exchange this for, a, for some charlatan on TV who will sell you a, a prayer cloth? I want to be around actual people of God who can transfer the authority from the heavens and see it made manifest in the earth. That's what I want. Let's keep going. Verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits. Wait a minute. <laughs> Their job. Apparently. What do you do for a living? Well, I drive out evil spirits. Oh, that's weird. Okay. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. By the way, is it, is it not interesting to you that we talk about the miracle cloths and then the very next verses we're talking about people who are trying to evoke the name of the Lord <laughs> they saw that authority was there and they were trying to do something in their own strength they would say in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches I command you to come out seven sons of Sceva a Jewish chief priest were doing this and by the way, I'm going to presume, this is me reading into the scripture, you don't have to agree with me, I'm going to presume that they were somewhat successful. I'm going to presume that they did it, they, they were having some level of success until this point, when the truth of their walk was exposed. Verse 15, one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? You can only walk in someone else's authority for so long. You can only pretend to have come under their discipleship and receive the authority from on a high for so long. You can't do that forever. Because you know why? Verse 16, Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, one dude, and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. How are you doing encountering... Uh, the demonic forces that are against you. Are you getting beat up? Are you getting embarrassed? Here's what, here's what we have. We have miracles. And then we're going on for a demand for holiness. Does that sound familiar? A demand for us to understand that this authority, where it's placed in whom we're supposed to be doing. We're not allowed to do this on our own, in our own name. In the name of, of, of the God that Pastor Matthew preaches. In, in the name of the God of, of Pastor Eric. Really? That just sounds weird to say it, doesn't it? In, in, in the teaching that I've heard from them, I'm, I'm going to now... You, you can't do that apart from having the Holy Spirit, from having proper discipleship, from walking through and understanding who it is that does miracles. 
He demands holiness from us. That's exactly what he's been encouraging us with. Turn to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah 28 and verse 11. Stay with me here, folks. We're, we're getting somewhere. Isaiah 28, 11. <clears throat> says this. Very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people, to whom He said, This is the resting place. Let the re- weary rest. And this is the place of repose, but they would not listen. So then the word of the Lord to them will become do and do, do and do. Rule on rule, rule on rule. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, does this not sound like religion? What is a person who is walking just in religion, not in relationship with the Lord? The word of the Lord sounds like to them, do this and do that. Rule on rule, a little bit here, a little bit there so that they will go and fall backward, be injured and snared and captured. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast we have entered a covenant with death. With the grave we have made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us. Look at verse 16. So this is what the Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion. Come back to the righteous standard. There is a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation that the one who trusts will never be dismayed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Folks, if you're thinking about it this whole entire year, haven't we been saying this? Here's the plumb line. Here's the measuring line. Here's the standard. Pastor, don't you think you can move on? No. Paul was there in in, in Ephesus for two years preaching the same thing every day. You You know when we can move on? When we've all got it. When we've all come up to the standard, that's when we can move on. And actually, what are we moving on? This is always going to be required of us, this holiness. We can look in Amos 7.7. You don't have to turn there. It talks about the righteousness of his plumb line and that justice is the measuring line. Go to Zechariah 4. That the people will rejoice when Zerubbabel has the plumb line in his hand. Let's go back to Acts 19. Let's go back to Acts 19. Let's see. Let's take a look at verse 17. So these seven sons of Sceva, by the way, who were probably used to using their dad's name, right? He was the Jewish chief priest. It doesn't list any of the seven. It just says, yeah, the ones who are trying to use someone else's name and don't have the authority themselves. When this became known to the Jews, when what became known? When, they, when it was known publicly that they were naked and bleeding, embarrassed. When it became known to the Jews and the Greeks, both living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord was held in high honor. <laughs> this is what's happening when you call out for holiness. It puts you where you hold the name of the Lord in high honor. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. By the way, This gospel is not designed to be private. They came and openly confessed their wrongdoing. Do you see the beginning of that verse? Many of those who believed. This is not an outside of the kingdom, inside of the kingdom conversation. You realize that's all of the verses that we've been doing for weeks now. This is 
kingdom-minded. Those who are believers, those who believed, now came and openly confessed and said, you know what, I've been living in sin. I can't believe this. They came to a place of holiness. Verse 18, uh, verse 19. A number who had practiced sorcery, everybody say sorcery, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. You know what this means? It means they had become believers, but they were still dabbling in their old life. They had books of sorcery. Um, many of us have come and we've started taking our Bibles to a certain book bindery to get them rebound. <laughs> there's, there's a movement afoot, right? Do you know that if every book that you did had to be individually made, do you realize that's a very expensive proposition? Here in the, in the town of Ephesus, that's what it was. So they would take their scrolls, these personal handwritten things that were very expensive, and they brought them and burned them publicly. Everybody say burned it. Burn it. You have to burn to ashes anything that makes you unholy. You, you can't have any attachment to it whatsoever. It's better that you destroy it. I remember when, uh, when Christy's parents got saved, they had albums. And, and they took all their albums and they took them out back and they burned them in a big fire. You know, you know that for some of us who experienced that or were around or heard people talk about it, you're like, well, that's interesting. You know what it was? I like that act of faith. I love it because it says we don't want to have anything to do with the past. We want to have a holy walk with the Lord. And it's much better that we get untangled from the things of the past than it bind us and keep us from moving forward with the Lord. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Drachma was a silver coin that was worth about a day's wage. So 50,000 days worth of wages there. Some people think that that number was somewhere in the millions. In this way, look at this, verse 20. Everybody put, the, put 20 up on the screen. In this way, the word of the Lord, what did it do? It spread widely and it grew in power. <laughs> when you have holiness here, what do you get? You get the word of the Lord that spread widely and it grew in power. We get back to something that shows us how important that the Word and the Spirit are. Isaiah 30 says, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice behind you that says, This is the way. Walk in it. Mark 12 says that you err because you don't know the Scripture or the power of God. When you walked into the temple, you guys remember when Pastor Eric set that out here? We had the temple elements. We had the table of showbread to the right. Pardon me while I turn my back to you. We had the menorah to the left, and we had prayer in front of us. We had this picture that says we're going to have weapons of righteousness in our right hand and in our left, 2 Corinthians 6, 7. This is what we are supposed to do. He comes back to it. The Word of God spread widely and the, that grew in power. By the way, the Word of God didn't grow in power. The manifestation of the Word grew in power, and everyone saw it. Amen? <clears throat> Look at verse 23. About that time there rose a great disturbance about the way. <laughs> there it is again. Uh, I think I skipped a verse or two, didn't I? Verse 21. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. Here's what happens. When you come back to a point of the Word and the Spirit, you know what happens? Is you get direction. Before anything else happens, 
you get direction in your life. After all this had happened, after Holy Spirit, discipleship, miracles, holiness, the Word of God grew and it expanded and became even more powerful. They got direction. Paul sets direction and says, after this, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. Why is that important? He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. It was important for you to know this part of the story because of what comes next. It's important for us to get the direction from the Lord for our lives now because what comes ahead may want to change your perspective on things. Because the last part of this is that we get direction and then we get difficulty. From 23 through the end of the from verse 23 through the end of the chapter is the riot in Ephesus. It was brought on by a guy named Demetrius, who was a silversmith who made a lot of money. Um, can you put that temple of Artemis back up, that picture, Joy? When you get a second. He made a lot of money doing things for this temple. By the way, Artemis is the same goddess that the Romans called Diana. You know that in the city of Ephesus, uh, the story that we're reading took place about 60 A.D., 57 A.D., something like that. In 431, there was a council of church leaders that was called the Council at Ephesus. Do you know what they decided at Ephesus? Um, well, let me back up. Let me, let me explain this to you. Artemis uh, was a perpetual virgin goddess. Uh, Throughout this story, they're going, and, and Demetrius gets them all riled up. They all go into that big stadium, the big theater, and they fill it with people, and they start chanting. When they realize that a Jew is in front of them, the anti-Semitism rises up in the whole crowd, and they start saying, Great is Artemis of, Ephesian, of Ephesus. Great is Artemis. Great is Artemis. Great is Artemis. For two hours. For two hours they are chanting the name of Artemis. Great is this perpetual virgin, virgin goddess. Great is our goddess. You know what happens? In 431 AD, the Council of Ephesus, they declare Mary to be the mother of God. In the same place that this takes place in 57 AD. It's almost like there's some spiritual things that are at work. It's almost like we can see this thread that goes throughout history. They're here and they're chanting. The difficulty that comes is Paul is there and he's saying, hey, look, he's wanting to go and address the crowd. But you know what his brothers do? They say, uh, Paul, you really don't need to go there right now. Uh, city leaders were saying, um, dear Paul, please don't go in there. Handing him notes. Why? Because there was difficulty that took place. Let me show you this. By the way, if you've got spirit, soul, and body, I really think that holiness gets us back on the right track in our spirit, that the Word and the Spirit are helping us to refine our soul, and then God gives us a direction for our lives. Let me show you something else while I'm at it. I think this path right here 
is a very personal path. Everyone needs to have a personal path that looks like this. You need to have the Holy Spirit. You need to have personal discipleship. You need to have some miracles going on in your life that are making manifest, presence God being made manifest. And you need to remember what holiness is. Here, I also see it as being corporate. Once, you've had a, once you have a personal walk, what is God doing in our church right now? He's demanding holiness from us. Do you know what the next step for us is? He wants to have us, uh, have us, us to have a better revelation of his word and his spirit. You know why? So he can give us the direction that we need. You can look at this as being personal the entire time, and it works. But I want you to see this personal and how it overlaps here in holiness, and we move on to a corporate work, and then you know what happens here? <laughs> how do you impact your community? Paul had done such an incredible job there that the entire city rose up against him. How are you doing? Anybody mad that you're a believer yet? Anybody super mad that we're a church yet? We got people that are mad. Are they ready to run down to the NRG stadium and be like, oh! We've got a personal responsibility that morphs into our corporate responsibility. I think we're here if this were to be a timeline. I think we're right here. We've seen miracles. I don't mean that we're not going to see more miracles. That's not what I mean. Because we're going to keep coming back and being filled every day. We're going to keep... This is like a building block. You keep doing the first things and you add on to it as you, as you progress here. We've got a Holy Spirit. We've got discipleship. We're going to see miracles. God is working on us in our holiness lest we think and we get out of line from the miracles that have been done in our midst. Lest we get arrogant in thinking that, well, Pastor Matt, Pastor Eric, whoa, 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 be holy in every thought that you have, in every thought that you have. Until you hate sin, we're not here yet. God, Lord, help us to have more of your word and your spirit. That whether we turn to the right or to the left, we have, we know what the way is. And you know why? Because we need direction. The Vincents have direction ahead of them. But you know what they're going to need more of? They're going to need more of the specific direction. They're going to need to be constantly filled with the Spirit because then they're not only doing this for themselves, but what happens? You start leading other people in the exact same process. This is me personally. And there's difficulty in all of this. And you know what it does? It leads me back around to go, Holy Spirit, please help me. God, please help me. Man, I need to learn more. Lord, we definitely, we got to have miracles so we won't even be able to survive. Yes, Lord, I know I'm supposed to be holy. More of the word, revelation of his word and revelation in the spirit and then gives us direction and we encounter difficulty. And then you know what we do? We start it all again. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 35. Just two more verses here. I have such a long list of verses that I don't have time for. <clears throat> it's talking about us getting the revelation of the Word of God. The Word of the Lord that comes to us. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 14. It says this. 
Actually, let's back up to verse 11. I'm sorry, Joy. Verse 11. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not too difficult a thing to take what we see in Acts 19 and for this to be a pathway for us. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Are you still waiting for someone else to get the revelation? He's saying here, that's not what it's supposed to be. Unless Pastor Matt tells me what to do with my life, I can't figure it out. Unless, unless Baj or Natalie speak into me, I can't find revelation on my own. What this says in verse 14 is this. No, the Word of God is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Quit thinking that these things are far away somewhere. This is the pathway that God has for us. Turn to Ephesians. I'm sorry, before you turn to Ephesians, turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35. <clears throat> Isaiah 35 and starting in verse 8. It says, and a highway will be there. Everybody say a highway. The pathway, the highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. What is it called? Right there in the middle of this thing. Right in the middle is what God is dealing with us right now. The way of holiness. If you want to have the Holy Spirit at work in your life, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of holiness... This is what He is. This is what He gives you. This is what He causes you to be. This is what He helps you to be. He empowers you to be holy. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. That is our job is to allow Him to work in us. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. Not going to happen. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Buddy did a great job on Friday night teaching about the armor of God. All the way through prayer, by the way. We are used to reading Ephesians 6, the first few verses, children obey your parents. Amen. Yay! Verses 5 through 9, slaves obeying their masters. Yay! Armor of God. Ooh. Verse 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. On how many occasions? All. all occasions. If you do not pray in the Spirit on all occasions, you're not fulfilling this verse. With all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert. Everybody say, be alert. Be alert. And always keep on praying for all the saints. Well, I don't have much to pray for. Well, then pray for somebody else. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for your leadership? Would you pray for the Vincents? you got plenty to pray for. Verse 19. This is Paul. He's in prison writing this letter, by the way. To the church that, of the area that was crying out, Great is Artemis, for two hours. Paul is saying, uh, pray also for me that whatever 
that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul is saying, please pray for me that I can be fearless, that the right words will come into my mouth and that I will fearlessly make known his gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, if Paul needs to pray this, I don't feel bad about me having to pray this. Paul, who's in prison, chains shackling him right there. And he's going, hey guys, pray that I say what God wants me to say and that I do it without any intrepidation at all. That I am bold. The problem is not me being too bold. It would be me being not bold enough. The problem is with you not being bold enough. That is the problem. That is what this discipleship in our midst is trying to get to. You want to get to a miracle, but we don't want to be bold enough to get there. We don't want to have the power of the Spirit working through us throughout the Word to get us to these places. We don't like this. This is hard. This is heavy. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Would you give us more? Because we need the direction and even the difficulty that comes so that it drives us back to the beginning. Verse 20. Uh, Paul says that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Guys, this way of holiness, the highway of holiness that we've talked about today, I think that this is an important process for us to understand. We've had some very, very heavy sermons lately. And by the way, I don't think that's going to stop. <laughs> this is us catching our breath for a minute and looking at it and saying, I've never seen this in Acts 19. I've never seen that this progression was just right there before me. And I love Acts 19. I've used it in a progression for years. I'm, I'm fairly familiar with the topic. But what I saw was the Holy Spirit leading us and giving us discipleship that leads to miracles, that necessitates that we're holy, that gives us a deeper revelation of His Word so that it will grow and expand. His Word and His Spirit will both expand. We get clear direction for our life. And I don't, I'm not surprised when the difficulty comes. This is the process that we're in as a church. This from the beginning. This Somewhere close to the beginning. God is revisiting this with us, and He's done this in cycles because it helps us go forward. More revelation in your life so that you have the right words to say. Clear direction so that you're praying on all occasions for all the saints that what we're doing is we got clear directions and we're able to handle whatever difficulties thrown in us. It's the last thing on the list. If you've done all these, you know what you can do? With that, you can easily handle that. That is not the end of Paul's ministry. The local city clerk comes into the arena and says, um, Guys, um, we might get in trouble for having a riot unless you go home. Well, he was the one that was going to get in trouble. And it says they all disperse. That's the end of the story. They go away. All that rigmarole, all that commotion, and they just leave. And Paul goes on and continues ministry. Would you stand to your feet with me?